It's so good to be in church tonight. I did think the snow might scupper church, but you are a hardy bunch, aren't you? Icon Church and uh, made it through the snow. Well done. But if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. And if you're online because you couldn't make it through the snow, it's so good that you are able to connect tonight. And I um, really believe that, you know, uh, God has a word for each and every one of us tonight. And it's so good. And I'm excited about Christmas season at Icon Church too. So don't forget next week, prize giving. The week after is our Christmas presentation. Three uh, times for that happening here in Chesterfield. Don't forget to get tickets for that. Take away some of the leaflets. Invite friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, enemies, whoever. Bring them along. And, uh, and we're going to have a fantastic time. And we're really believing that over this Christmas season, as always, we'll see lots of new people. But we're also believing for many of those people to want to make a decision to follow Jesus and to follow up. And so throughout December, we're going to be promoting really strongly our next Alpha course, which is going to start in January. And uh, so really, let's be praying, let's believe in uh, for many people. And if you're in the room and you've never done Alpha, can I encourage you to do that? Or even if on, you're online and you just weren't able to make it here tonight physically and uh, you're online, but you, you know, you, you can make it here physically normally, we, I want to encourage you to do Alpha uh, wherever you're from. So are you ready for the word? The title of my message tonight is This Seat, this one. Next to the place set in. <laughs> has my name on it. Let me say that again. This scene has my name on it. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray as we open the scriptures that you will speak to us and that you will change our hearts, change our mindset, change our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Oh man, I want to jump into a story from the second book of Samuel. It's 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it's a story um, featuring King David. But let me read it. It says this, 2, 2 Samuel 9 verses 1 to 13. David asked, is there anyone still left from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Everybody say Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibor, from the house of Micaiah, son of Emil, when Mephibosheth, that was his name, that's a good Hebrew name, if anybody has a child and they want a good Hebrew name, Mephibosheth, son of, I've never met a Mephibosheth, has anybody else? No. Son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, the king, and you will always eat at my table. This seat 
has my name on it. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring him the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always, notice it said this three times, he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. I've got a feeling this table might be a bit lower than it normally is. Let me just, is it? It's in front. No, it's not. It's just me. I'm taller. I've grown. I'm taller. I don't know how you came to church tonight. I don't know what your week's been like. Maybe you came tonight, maybe you're online and you say, Paul, I've got lots of needs or I feel empty or I feel full. However we came to church tonight, I believe, as always, God wants to speak to us. This is a story about King David and the story of David's life in the Old Testament is actually the pinnacle, the zenith of the Old Testament. There's more written about David in the Old Testament than anyone else. In fact, there's more written in ancient history from that time about David than anyone else. And I love this story because in this story, Jesus is revealed. Jesus, who uh, would not be revealed physically until a thousand years later, is revealed in this story. It's a shadow story of what's to come. I love the whole story about David because the scriptures give us the full picture. It gives us his human nature. It shows us his failures, his weaknesses, as well as David's greatness. He's the giant slayer. He's the shepherd boy. He's the musician who became a king. He's the seventh son of a man called Jesse. He has in common something with Jeannie, who is the seventh daughter of a woman called Connie. (coughs) True story. David is Israel's second king. The first king, Saul, disobeys God and God rejects him as the king and the Lord speaks to the prophet Samuel before this story and he calls Samuel and says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and I want you to look at his sons because one of those sons is going to be Israel's future king. And so at the house, Jesse brings out all his sons, oldest to youngest, in front of Samuel And each one that passes by him, one, two, three, four, five, six, God says it's not him. All six are brought before him. But then Samuel turns to Jesse and he says, is there another one? Is there someone else? Because I know God called me here. And Jesse said, yeah, I've got a seventh son, but he's out in the fields just looking after the sheep. He's just a boy. And Samuel says, fetch him. And when David comes in, Samuel says, this is the one. And he anoints him as the future king of Israel. It's 15 years between David being anointed that day in his house to actually him becoming king. And the transition 
to king 15 years later actually is not a smooth one. It's not a good one. There are many obstacles in the way as Saul is trying to hold on to the kingdom and David is rising up. In fact, there's lots of opposition. There's lots of pain that he has to go through. And God uses the 15 years of waiting to prepare David for his future. You know, it can be a long time between being anointed and being appointed. It can be a long time between being called and being chosen. Saul the king, initially, when he meets David, initially, when he meets David in the Goliath scenario, he loves him. And uh, he loves David until he doesn't. And then it's not so much that his love wanes, but his love turns to hate. And he despises him. And he's jealous of him. And he wants to kill him. And so David becomes a fugitive in this 15-year period on the run from Saul. If, if I sh- let me show you how stark the contrast is between Saul loving David and Saul hating David. Um, David used to play the harp for Saul. The scriptures tell us that an, he- an evil spirit would come upon Saul and he would be really troubled as the king and they would fetch David in and David would begin to play worship music. I don't know about you, but has anybody else had the experience where you are just having the worst day and you play some worship music and the presence of God just calms you, just settles your spirit, just gives you hope again, gives you, gives you purpose? Anybody else experienced that? Well, David used to do that all the time, sing worship songs in the present and the evil spirit would leave. Not only that, but... Saul initially loved David so much that he let him marry his daughter, Michael. Yes, it was a girl's name, Michael. He let him marry his daughter. And David also became best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. But all that changes when David becomes successful, when God blesses him. In fact, the women um, begin to write songs about David, not just David writing songs of worship and singing them, but the women of the land begin to write songs about David. And one of the songs they wrote was this. They sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. And this infuriated Saul. And so in his heart, he begins to to decide to despise David and ultimately to kill him. And so David's on the run. He's a fugitive. He's pursued by a king who wants to kill him. Everything Saul says in this time period about David is negative. Every conversation he has about David in his household, with his commanders, in the army is negative. David is the one who must be be killed. It's trash talk. He wants him dead. The scriptures tell us that as David's on the run, 300 men join him. And this is how they describe them. Distressed, discontented and in debt. It's not the elite army that David gathers. It's 300 men, all distressed, all discontented, and all in debt. But they eventually become David's mighty men. You see, where you are today is not permanent. Your struggle in this moment is not your destiny. God has got future victories for you. You are getting stronger. 
David grew stronger and after 15 years, he becomes king and God fulfills his promise. We're introduced in this story to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the son of David's best friend, Jonathan, and he's the grandson of King Saul. And when David becomes king, Mephibosheth is five years old and he's crippled in both feet. Well, he becomes crippled in both feet. And he becomes crippled on the day that his grandfather and his father die in battle. Saul and Jonathan killed in battle. Here's how it happens. 2 Samuel 4 and verse 4, it says this. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. That's the news that they've died. His nurse picked him up and fled. She was running for their lives. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. And his name was Mephibosheth. You see, it was a common practice in ancient time when one king was toppled by another king that actually the whole family of the former king would be destroyed and killed so that that household didn't rise to prominence again. And so the nurse, because she'd lived in the house of Saul and all she'd heard about David was trash talk, all she'd heard about David was negativity. She expected what anyone would expect, that David is going to come and kill the whole family of Saul. And so she, uh, fear rises up and she picks up Mephibosheth and she begins to run for her life. But as she runs, she drops him and he becomes crippled in both feet. She expected to be executed because the new king would destroy the household of Saul. And so she fled, she drops the boy, he becomes crippled. And they end up hiding in a place called Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, he's living with his disability. He's living with shame. In fact, his name means the mouth, from the mouth of shame. That's what Mephibosheth means. He's living in hiding. He's born to be king, but now he's a son of shame. He's living in shame and he's trapped in a place called Lodibar. And Lodibar is not a place you want to be trapped in. It's a physical place, but it's also a metaphorical place where many of us might find ourselves living in our lives. There's several meanings to the name Lodibar. One is it's a place of no bread, that actually there's no food here, that it's a place where nothing comes in. There's no trade, there's no food coming in. In contrast, David lives in the city of Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means the house of bread. There's plenty of bread in Bethlehem, but there's no bread in Lodibar. It also means the place of no pasture a place where nothing grows, a barren place where there's no progress and there's no way to prosper through raising livestock. In Lodibar, life is in reverse. The song on the radio that plays all the time, greatest hits radio, just on the loop. The song that plays all the time is the only way is down, baby, for you and me now. In contrast to that, David writes in Psalm 23 and verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, 
I have everything I need. I'm in a place of pure pasture. And then the third meaning of the word Lodibar is that there's no word, no communication, no answer, no solution, nothing coming to give us hope. Mephibosheth, I think, has accepted his fate, is in hiding. This is my life. This is my lot. But then one day David says, is there anyone left from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And here we begin to get a picture of the gospel, a picture of God, that where in ancient times Mephibosheth could have expected death and destruction and to be killed, the God is a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of life. And so David says, is there anyone from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Is there anyone from the house of my enemies to whom I can be gracious? You see, David doesn't want to kill. He wants to be kind. He doesn't want to blame. He wants to bless. He doesn't want to end his life. He wants to give him life. It's a picture of God, and I don't know how you came to church tonight. I don't know if you're joining us online what you think about God, but I want to tell you that God does not want to ruin your life. God's purpose is not to ruin your life. God's purpose is to give you life and life to the full. Mephibosheth is expecting death, and he's been waiting for this day. The king has found me. He always believed the day would come. He always believed that this could be his fate, and now he's expecting execution. But instead, he's expecting execution, but he's going to experience God's kindness. I want to say tonight that somebody is leaving Lodibar today because you're not called to that place. You're not called to the place where there's no answer, there's no word and no communication. You're not called to the place where nothing grows, where there's no pasture, where there's no prosperity and there's no life. And you're not called to that place where there's no bread, there's nothing good to feed on. You are called into the king's table. This seat has your name on it. This seat has your name on it. There's a seat at the king's table where you and I can find bread. There's a seat at the king's table where you and I can find answers and prosperity and pasture and growth. There's a seat at the king's table where there's, that opens a door for our future and the solutions that we need. And this story shows us that it's only the king that can set us free. And it's a picture of the gospel. I love these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. He loved us. While we were still sinners. He sent the answer while we were in Lodibar. And he made us right in his sight. I love those words. Mephibosheth is thinking, I'm about to die. But he encounters instead grace. He's expecting execution, but he discovers restoration. And David's first words as he meets him and he comes to him is this, don't be afraid. 
do not fear. Take your seat at the table. And so as I close this message tonight from this story, I want to just share three things about this table as I close. They're all found in one verse, actually, a verse we read in verse 7, 2 Samuel 9 and verse 7. Three things about this table. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, the king. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. Three things about this table. First of all, it's a table of kindness. The king is not out to hurt you. He's out to heal you. He's out to help you. The king is not out to destroy your life. He's out to give us life. Mephibosheth did not expect a table of kindness. He expected an execution. When we think about God, so often we think about shame. That's what Mephibosheth meant. We think sometimes about guilt, that we can't measure up and that God would judge us and that we would receive what we deserve. We would receive what, what was coming to us, what was expected, just like Mephibosheth was thinking. We think about how sometimes that God asks us to repent and to turn around and to repent. The word repent in the Bible means to change your mind and actually turn around 180 degrees and go in another direction with different thinking. I think sometimes we actually think that repent means remorse or sorrow. But actually what happens is we, we, we come to God and we come with remorse and sorrow and we say, I'm sorry. Lord, and we're walking in this direction. I'm sorry, God, and I'm sorry for my failure. I'm sorry for my weakness. I'm sorry for my shame. I'm sorry for my guilt. I'm sorry for my pain. I'm sorry for who I am. But we keep walking in the same direction. Repentance is not turning 360 degrees. Repentance is turning 180 degrees. When I come to God, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you to take away my shame. I ask you to lift off of me my guilt. I thank you that I'm a child of God. I thank you that I'm called to the king's table. I thank you that I'm free. I thank you that I've been forgiven. Repentance is not sorrow. It is a turnaround and walking in a different direction. Another translation uh, there's this verse, sorry, in Romans 2 and verse 4, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Another translation says, God's kindness leads us to repentance, repentance to turn around. I believe there's an invitation for us to come and sit at the table. This seat has my name on it. This seat has your name on it. God's vision is human flourishing and only the king can set us free. It's a table of kindness, a table of grace, a table of mercy, a table of forgiveness, a table where shame is taken from us, a table of kindness. Come to the table. This seat as your name on it. The second thing about this table is it's a table of restoration. 
I don't know if you've ever needed restoration in your life, whether you've messed up or you've slipped back in some area of your life and you've lost some stuff maybe and you think, I need that restoring in my life. I need, I need some restoration. Maybe there's been times where you've walked away from God or your life just took a wrong turn and you've thought, I need to get back on track. Well, this seat has got your name on it because this is a table of restoration. You see... Mephibosheth lost some stuff. He lost his identity. He was the king's son. He lost his identity. But now he's hiding in shame, in a place of shame, in Lodibar. He's in a place of guilt and a place of shame. He lost his purpose. He should have been expecting progress and movement forward in his life. He should have been expecting God to do great things in him and through him. But no, he's expecting to be executed. But his purpose is about to be restored. He lost his prosperity. He lost the lands and the wealth that were his, that were his inheritance. But the king was about to restore them. I wonder what the enemy has stolen from you and me that God wants to restore in our lives. I don't know if anybody's feeling this tonight, but I get this, just this sense in the spirit tonight that God wants to restore what the enemy wants to steal. God wants to restore what the enemy wants to steal. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about the enemy that steals actually, but he never names the enemy. I don't know if you've noticed that. He just gives him titles, descriptors of who he is. Some scholars believe it's like a snub, that Jesus doesn't actually give him a name, doesn't give him an identity, doesn't give him a, uh, a value. He just gives him titles. Some scholars believe it's a snub, a dig, if you will. Look at the titles that Jesus gives the enemy. In the Greek, the word diablos. It means accuser. I don't know who the enemy wants to accuse here tonight, but I know God wants to restore what the enemy has stolen. Uh, the Satan, he is called. Ha Satan, he's called. It means the adversary, opposition, and again, accuser. He's called the tempter, the destroyer, the thief. A liar and a father of lies. He's called the deceiver, the great dragon who deceives the whole world and the ancient serpent who leads the whole world astray. Whenever the enemy tries to take from us, Jesus is able and willing to restore because this is a table of restoration. I know in Icon Church, we know John chapter 10 and verse 10, don't we? It says, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and they might have it to the full. But if you're in any doubt, let's go back into the Old Testament because God was saying this way before John chapter 10 and verse 10. In Joel, it seems to be a pattern that we're quoting this week from the book of Joel. I don't know why that is, Lucy heard. But we're quoting from the book of Joel and it says, shh, Lucy did it in her prayer, our prayer meeting. Joel chapter 2 verses 25 to 26. I will repay you or I will restore to you 
the years the locusts have eaten. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. I wonder if somebody can grab that promise. And maybe you walked in here with shame tonight, and you can walk out of here tonight saying, never again will my people be shamed. One more verse, one more verse at this table of restoration. Isaiah 61 and verse 7, it says, Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. God is going to give you double for your trouble. That's a Dwayne White little phrase there. I won't steal it. It's his. He's going to give you double for your trouble. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will receive, rejoice, sorry, in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. We're coming out of Lodibar. We are, we're coming out of Lodibar. We're not going to sit in a place of guilt. We're not going to sit in a place of shame. We're not going to sit in a place of lack with no answers and no solutions. No, we're going to have a seat at the king's table. And we're coming out with a double portion, with our inheritance and everlasting joy. God is going to restore our true identity, our purpose, our prosperity and blessing. This seat, it's got your name on it. It's got your name on it. Take a seat at the table. And the last thing, the worship team can come back and we're going to worship. We'll have to do something logistically with this in a minute, but we'll work around it for now. It's a table of kindness. It's a table of restoration. But the last thing is, this is a table of sonship. It's a table of sonship. We read that in verse 7. All of these characteristics were in that one verse, but... I want to read verse 11 again from 2 Samuel 9. It says this, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You might know that you're a child of the king tonight, that God is your father and that you are a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But I want to ask us, I believe God doesn't want us to know it. He wants us to live it. He wants us to live it, to take our seat at his table. And Mephibosheth's identity was restored as one of the king's sons. Anything less is squandering your inheritance. Anything less is beneath you. Anything less is not what God has called you to be. Let me tell you where this story goes. This is a moment where Mephibosheth is restored and he comes to the king's table. But a few years later, uh, the king's son, David's son, Absalom, tries to take the kingdom from David. And David ends up fleeing Bethlehem and leaving the city because Absalom's forces are strong. And he's convinced the people that if he were king, it would be better. If he were king, things would be better than if David is king. And so David has to flee. And in that moment of fleeing, all of Mephibosheth's identity, the lands that have been restored to him, all the things that have been recovered, the kindness, it's all in jeopardy. 
And in fact, David is told ill reports about Mephibosheth in that time. Absalom's attempt to usurp David and take the throne, though, is eventually defeated. And David returns. And Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who tried to steal some of Mephibosheth's land and wealth and his identity, some of those things he tried to get for himself. And David is willing to get them back for Mephibosheth. He's willing to deal with Ziba. He's willing to get the lands back to Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth says this, let him have them. Let him have that stuff. What matters to me is that you are here. You see, his identity as a son of the king, as someone who could sit as the, at the king's table was the greatest value for him. It was of more value than wealth. It was of more value than his inheritance. It was of more value than his lands. It was of more value than anything else. The fact that this seat had his name on it, And he could sit there every time the king sat down to eat. Mephibosheth could sit down to eat at the same table. That identity, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the living God. That meant more to him than anything else. It reminds me of Jesus' parable in Matthew 13 where he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. I believe that somebody is getting out of Lodibar today. We're not staying at that place. We're coming to this table of kindness. This seat has your name on it. We're coming to this table of restoration. This seat has your name on it. We're coming to this table of sonship. This seat has your name on it. And you're laying down shame tonight. You're laying down guilt. You're stepping out of like. You're turning around and you're walking in a different direction tonight. You're discovering your identity, your true identity as a son and daughter of God. You're moving from an outsider to a son. You're moving from Lodibar, the place of hiding, to take your place this table. I want you to imagine There's a big sticker on here and it's got your name, Paul, Jeannie, Mephibosheth. No, that doesn't fit. Meph. (laughs) It's got your name on it. You're invited to come and dine at the king's table. You're stepping out of shame and coming to a table of kindness. And I want to ask you tonight as we close with worship tonight in a moment as I turn it back I'm going to pray and I'm going to hand back to the worship team that in those moments you just lay that down you just lay it down and say I'm not walking out with shame any longer I'm a child of the king maybe your experience has been a place of like nothing growing nothing working life seeming to be in reverse this is a table of restoration and you've been walking in this, in this way that you think it's just leading to more like that there's, there's no pasture, there's no bread, there's no fruit. Well, you and I are turning around today and we're being restored 
and walking in a place of fruitfulness. We're going from that place of no word, no solution, no answer to a place of restoration. And maybe your identity has been lost. And it could be that someone dropped you. It could be that life dropped you. It could be that your experience dropped you and your identity has been lost and confused. And you've been walking this way, but today you're turning around. And you're walking knowing that you're a son and a daughter of the living God. Come on, would you stand with me if you're in the room? If you're at home, get ready to pray. I'm going to pray and then team are going to lead us in worship. And what I want to ask you to do tonight, I did think about saying if people wanted to come forward and use this space as an altar, then they could. And if you want to, you can, but you don't have to. But all, each and every one of us in our seats, Let's encounter God. Let this moment of worship be a moment where we say, I'm turning around. I think there's something for everyone today. I'm turning around. I'm turning around. I'm not going to keep walking in this direction of no hope, no light, of no bread, of no pasture. I'm going to walk into what God has for me, what God wants to restore in my life. So come on, let's pray and let's believe God tonight. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And I thank you that tonight we can come to you. And we can lay down our guilt. We can lay down our shame. We can lay down our fear. We can lay down our lack. We can lay down our life in reverse experience. And we can walk out in a different direction today. That we can walk out knowing the goodness of God, the kindness of God, that you are a God who restores us that you are a God who revives us and renews us and that you are a God who provides for us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, that you're lifting shame off of us tonight and you're causing us to walk as children, to lift our heads and say, we're children of God, sons and daughters of the living God.